Welcome to Primer, a podcast that gets you closer to the heart of the matter. As you may know, the Primer is a small cap at the base of ammunition that when struck by a firing pin goes BAM. It ignites the gunpowder and sends the bullet downrange. The point of the podcast is like that, to get you going in the right direction quickly by briefly tackling a variety of subjects like books, people, events, issues, whatever. After listening, if you want to take it further, you can. Episodes and more information can be found at personalprimer.com. I'm Joe McCormick, and let's get you primed on a book called Socratic Scribbling and the Role of Classical Rhetoric. I am pretty pumped to talk about this topic today because it's a little... um, It should be something that I should master because I studied English. I was an English literature major. And somehow um, the words Socrates and rhetoric and classical rhetoric and things just kind of overwhelmed me. And I I wanted to tackle this today because I think it's really, really important. A friend of mine, Malachi Walsh, and we'll talk about him more in an episode, an interview with uh, my colleague Charlie uh, Thornton in a Primer Plus episode, wrote a book called Socratic Scribbling. And a little background on Malachi and... and, uh, He's a former uh, advertising executive. He works in an online great books program, which I talked about recently in a podcast. And he's an awesome guy. He's a fascinating guy, and I highly encourage you to listen to his interview with Charlie because it's really, really cool. So he wrote a book called Socratic Scribbling that just came out, and he helped me in my business um, develop a class called Brief Writing a number of years ago, which has been amazing, and he is just a great writer and he's a great person and he's funny and he's just he's just filled with wisdom so he wrote this book and what we're going to talk about today is the book and it's a method um, to go back to the past to address a modern writing dilemma and that writing dilemma is our struggle which what he calls the blank page syndrome which is you got a blank page you got to write you don't know what to write so how do you fix that problem and we need to, it's an ongoing struggle that we have with writing. It's a relationship that many of us have um, that we struggle with. You know, I think about people that I know, I rarely come across a person that says, I'm a great writer. I think the opposite is true. Most people say, you know, I really am not a very good writer. So when you're educated, classically educated to write, um, you will learn rhetoric. So we're going to talk about today are a couple of things. First and foremost, who is who are the ancients? Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Uh, the second is what is classical rhetoric, and the third is a little view into uh, Socratic scribbling. This book that Malachi wrote. And again, like I mentioned, I'm an English major, so I should know this, you know, front and back, top to bottom. In I know it's been a few decades since I was in college, and this could be, uh, you know, I could just blame it on having a poor memory. But I heard the term and I'm like, okay, rhetoric and, you know, I just logic and rhetoric and, okay, so where did this fit into my whole educational scheme and was this in high school, was in college? And I went to like a a classical prep school, college prep school in Chicago and um, I'm like, how did I miss this or did I miss it or I don't remember what it was, so I had to dive back into it. But his his book, The the Spark Here, is, is, you know, this blank page syndrome, you know, how to... How do writers approach just a blank piece of paper and what do they start doing? You know, you think about the great writers that you love. You think of, um, <clears throat> you know, Keats or you think of, 
Shakespeare, or you think of I, I, one of my favorites is C.S. Lewis, and and the list goes on of great writers. Where do they le- learn to write like that? Well, it turns out that they go back to the ancients, um, and you have this sort of trio of famous people, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And let's talk for a second about who those three people are. So to start off, you have Socrates, right? Well, his book is called Socratic Scribbling, so we should probably figure out who Socrates is. If this, if it, so Socrates was born in Athens in about 470 BC, and he's often credited as the founder, one of the founders of Western philosophy. And he created a method that's now generally referred to as the Socratic method. And it's a, it's a type of inquiry and discussion between people, individuals, that's based on asking and answering questions to illuminate ideas. So this is the Socratic method. It's questioning and answering. And that's Socrates. Um, and you're looking for contradictions in this method um, in one's thoughts. And this is the online great books program that I ref- referenced in a previous podcast and the online great books podcast that really is the, the living out of this Socratic method in their, in their discussion groups that they have, which is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And just when we look at the Socratic method, um, you're looking at contradictions and counterpoints and it's a guide to discovery, right? And it's based on this principle, the Socratic method, that human beings learn best through the use of reasoning and logic and finding poking holes in their theories. And that's the Socratic method. So that's Socrates, who Socrates is. Then you have Plato. So Plato is a student of Socrates, right? And huge contribution to philosophy and the study of the world and um, change and ethics and um, how we perceive the world through our senses and our mind and um, the material and the physical and the transcendent and, and so huge contributor to Western philosophy. And then you have Aristotle. So Aristotle was a student of Plato. So now you have like, okay, Socrates, and Socrates was the teacher of Plato, and then Plato was the teacher of Aristotle, and he lived lived around 384 BC, 384 to 322. And around, and as a teenager, he joined Plato's academy. So when we look at Aristotle, he is considered the, sort of the, the founder of classical rhetoric, if you will. Hopefully I have that right. Based on what I've read, it kind of goes like this. You have, from the ancient writers, right, you've got um, Aristotle, who was like the, 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 got rhetoric moving, and then you have Cicero and Quintilian. So Aristotle considered like the greatest, like, theoretician um, of rhetoric, and then Cicero was his greatest practitioner. In Quintilian, it's greatest teacher. So there's there's sort of like a subset of those three. So you've got Aristotle, Cicero, and Quintilian when it comes to classical rhetoric. So that just to kind of wrap it up is you've got you've got Socrates who taught Plato, Plato who taught Aristotle. Aristotle really got classical rhetoric going. So now let's talk about well the second thing is what what is classical rhetoric? Here this term sounds very fancy. For me it threw me for a loop. Maybe you know what it is and this is just obvious for you. I don't know. Maybe a lot of people don't know, I suspect. Why well, I'm doing this for sure is 
the concept of the, the classical ideal from the ancients is that a great person was was um, a good man, good person, speaking well. Right. So when you look at classical rhetoric, it's the rules and principles of eloquent expression. So it turns out like when you want to express yourself eloquently and well, there are guiding principles and rules that you would follow. Those form the basis of classical rhetoric. And those were principles that that Aristotle generated and that were studied, practiced, and taught. So one of the interesting things in the interview that Charlie has with Malachi is that great writers like Shakespeare, Thomas More, all the, you know, uh, Renaissance, they studied these devices, these rules and principles. They studied them and they imitated them in, the, in their writing. So when you look at the, at the composition of their writing, technically and all the, the pieces of it, you'll find these rules and principles played out. Why? Because they, pract- they studied and practiced them. And we'll get to that in a second in terms of like some of the manifestations of what these devices are. Schemes and tropes are a term that you'll hear. So when you go into classical rhetoric, it's this, like I said, it's, it's this practice of imitating the writing of others. So you read a great writer and then you start to imitate the writing. And there's this whole practice of doing that. So Aristotle, as a teacher, right, taught that there were three elements of communication. The speaker, the audience, and the speech itself. Okay? So when he talks about the types of um, speech, you know, persuasive speech, you've got political speech, legal speech, ceremonial, and then there's, and there's methods or devices in those types of speech that one can look at, study, imitate, learn, and perfect, and make it their own type of writing. And that's, these become cla- the, the devices of classical rhetoric. It's fascinating. So going back to what I said earlier, when I think about my education, I'm like, oh, classical rhetoric, what is that? Did I actually study it? And it turns out that I did. I just didn't know it, and I forgot sort of some of the names. I remember some, and I forget, I forget other ones. But this thing I talked about earlier, and I don't remember hearing this, but I guess I, I'm sure I did, but schemes and tropes, which are these, these devices that we use as writers that, are, that form the basis of classical rhetoric. And I'll have links to this stuff so that there's like 30 of these devices and there's links. But I'm just going to kind of at a high level, because this is the point of primer really, is to get you started on what is classical rhetoric. Um, you've got schemes and you have tropes. So schemes are the arrangement of, of sounds and words. Right? So how words get arranged and the order that they get arranged are, can be taught and imitated. So, so that really is getting uh, to, to at a fundamental level. So at the word level, you have, I'll just give you a couple of examples. You have anaphora, a synonym, and an epistrophe. So I'm just going to go over those kind of at a high level. So let's start with uh, anaphora. So that's defined as a word or phrase that's repeated at the beginning of successive phrases, clauses, or lines. So the example that I read in doing this research is because I do not hope to turn again, because I do not hope, because I do not hope to turn. So that's from T.S. Eliot. Or so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. So it's the sentence that in succession begins with the same uh, you know, words or uh, words or phrases repeated successfully. That's called an anaphora. Then you have a synonym. A synonym, these simply are defined as use of words with the same or similar meanings. So again, in my research, alter, change, brief, short, assist, help. So using different words that are basically, that have very, very similar meanings. 
okay? I, and then the example I, I read was, I hate inconstancy. I loathe to test it. So it's turns of phrases which are, and that's a synonym. And then you have an epistrophe. So very similar to an anaphora where you have repeated the words, words or phrases beginning, that begin a successive series of phrases or clauses. Um, an epistrophe are words or expressions that are repeated at the end of successive phrases. Okay? So you have these devices, and at the word level, they're, they're structures, and there's lists of these devices, climax, and um, at, you know, at, the word, at the word level, there's, there, there are many of these things, alliterations, right? I love alliterations. Anybody who knows me knows I love alliterations. So <clears throat> at, the, at the level of, um, now at the level of sound, you have, alliter- you have these devices, consonant, I'll give you three examples, consonants, onomatopoeia, alliteration. So now these are different devices, but they're, they're all, these are all called schemes, how words get arranged, the arrangement of words and sounds. So at the word level, you have them, but you also have at the sound level, how it sounds when you, when you read them. So consonants, the same sound, right? For, you know, it's, it's um, you know, friend and frowned and killed and cold. And it's got this consonant sound. Then you have onomatopoeia, which are really the words, but are words are expressing sound like bam, which is what I use from primer, bam. Onomatopoeia. There's a great song by Todd Rundgren called Onomatopoeia. Listen to it. It's really funny. Alliteration. It's the words that begin with the the, the same first letter, right? Um, It's a friendly, foolish foe. That would be a triple alliteration. I play with them when I write because they're fun. They they sound good. That's the whole point of of these schemes is they sound at the level of sound. Then you have tropes. And these are like sentences and devices that we use. So you have hyperbole and irony and you have similes, things are like using like and as in comparisons, metaphors, paradox, puns, pejorative where you really use the successive personifications where you talk about a thing as if it were a person. Now these are, these are schemes and these are tropes. These are these devices that writers use and these, all these devices, the bottom line is can be used to teach and imitate and become the basis of great writing. So that's kind of a, a quick overview of what is classical rhetoric. But just think of these schemes and tropes and these devices, these ways to play with words and to form and arrange them that have names and categories that can be studied, can be imitated, can be practiced, and ultimately perfected to be what they define as the eloquent expression of your thought. And these become, when I'm as a writer, I use them and sometimes unknowingly I'm using them. So if you, if you, really talk to a person who is a student and understands the de- these devices laid out and they look at good writing, they can start to identify them, these rhythm and patterns that we use. And this is what leads us to Socratic scribbling, the third thing we're going to talk about today, which is this book by Malachi Walsh and Katie King. And it's great. It's a great book. And it's written from the perspective of a person who's fallen in love, studied and rediscovered and loved all these devices of classical rhetoric and was an ad man in uh, J. Walter Thompson worked at an agency and it's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful book it's 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 fun it's simple it helps us address this blank page syndrome but from the standpoint of these devices of classical rhetoric now can be accessible and you can practice them and he's got these really great steps at the end of the book and he 
lays them out, and he's got some fascinating stories. I want to, I want, I want you. I'd love you to listen to the interview with him because he talks about his ad days at doing work with Cheese Whiz, and it's just a super fascinating discussion about how he landed on this book, and and all of that. So that's Socratic scribbling. That's a a visit or a revisit to classical rhetoric. You are now primed on the basics of classical rhetoric and Socratic scribbling. And you can apply these methods to be a better writer today, right? You can take it from here. <laughs>